Section 13 of An American Tragedy, Volume 1, by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Book 1, Chapter 13. For a period of four months, at least, this was exactly the way it worked out. After meeting her in this fashion, he was devoting not an inconsiderable portion of his free time to attempting to interest her to the point where she would take as much interest in him as she appeared to take in others. At the same time, he could not tell whether she could be made to entertain a singular affection for anyone, nor could he believe that there was only an innocent camaraderie involved in all this. Yet she was so enticing that he was deliriously moved by the thought that if his worst suspicions were true, she might ultimately favor him. So captivated was he by this savor of sensuality and varietism that was about her, the stigmata of desire manifest in her gestures, moods, voice, the way she dressed, that he could not think of relinquishing her. Rather, he foolishly ran after her, and seeing this, she put him off, at times evaded him, compelled him to content himself with little more than the crumbs of her company, while at the same time favoring him with descriptions or pictures of other activities and contacts, which made him feel as though he could no longer endure to merely trail her in this fashion. It was then he would announce to himself in anger that he was not going to see her any more. She was no good to him, really. But on seeing her again, a cold indifference in everything she said and did, his courage failed him, and he could not think of severing the tie. She was not at all backward, at the same time, in speaking of things that she needed or would like to have, little things at first, a new powder puff, a lipstick, a box of powder, or a bottle of perfume. Later, and without having yielded anything more to Clyde than a few elusive and evasive endearments, intimate and languorous reclinings in his arms which promised much but always came to nothing, she made so bold as to indicate to him at different times and in different ways, purses, blouses, slippers, stockings, a hat which she would like to buy if only she had the money. And he, in order to hold her favor and properly ingratiate himself, proceeded to buy them, though at times, and because of some other developments in connection with his family, it pressed him hard to do so. And yet, as he was beginning to see toward the end of the fourth month, he was apparently little farther advanced in her favor than he had been in the beginning. In short, he was conducting a feverish and almost painful pursuit without any definite promise of reward. In the meantime, in so far as his home ties went, the irritations and the depressions, which were almost inextricably involved with membership in the Griffiths family, were not different from what they had ever been. For, following the disappearance of Esta, there had been a period of dejection which still endured. Only, in so far as Clyde was concerned, it was complicated with a mystery which was tantalizing and something more, irritating. For when it came to anything which related to sex in the Griffiths family, no parents could possibly have been more squeamish. And especially did this apply to the mystery which had now surrounded Esta for some time. She had gone. She had not returned. And so far as Clyde and the others knew, no word of any kind had been received from her. However, Clyde had noted that after the first few weeks of her absence, during which time both his mother and father had been most intensely wrought up and troubled, worrying greatly as to her whereabouts and why she did not write, suddenly they had ceased their worries and had become very much more resigned, at least not so tortured by a situation that previously had seemed to offer no hope whatsoever. He could not explain it. It was quite noticeable, and yet nothing was said. And then one day, a little later, Clyde had occasion to note that his mother was in communication with someone by mail, something rare for her, for so few were her social or business connections that she rarely received or wrote a letter. 
One day, however, very shortly after he had connected himself with the Green Davidson, he had come in rather earlier than usual in the afternoon, and found his mother bending over a letter which evidently had just arrived, and which appeared to interest her greatly. Also, it seemed to be connected with something which required concealment, for on seeing him, she stopped reading at once, and, flustered and apparently nervous, arose and put away the letter without commenting in any way upon what she had been reading. But Clyde, for some reason, intuition perhaps, had the thought that it might be from Esta, he was not sure, and he was too far away to detect the character of the handwriting. But whatever it was, his mother said nothing afterwards concerning it. She looked as though she did not want him to inquire, and so reserved were their relations, that he would not have thought of inquiring. He merely wondered, and then dismissed it partially, but not entirely, from his mind. A month or five weeks after this, and just about the time that he was becoming comparatively well-schooled in his work at the Green Davidson, and was beginning to interest himself in Hortense Briggs, his mother came to him one afternoon with a very peculiar proposition for her. Without explaining what it was for, or indicating directly that now she felt he might be in a better position to help her, she called him to the mission hall when he came in from work, and, looking at him rather fixedly and nervously for her, said, "'You wouldn't know, Clyde, would you, how I could raise a hundred dollars right away?' Clyde was so astonished that he could scarcely believe his ears, for only a few weeks before the mere mention of any sum above four or five dollars in connection with him would have been preposterous. His mother knew that. Yet here she was asking him, and apparently assuming that he might be able to assist her in this way. And rightly, for both his clothes and his general air had indicated a period of better days for him. At the same time, his first thought was, of course, that she had observed his clothes and goings-on, and was convinced that he was deceiving her about the amount he earned. And in part this was true, only so changed was Clyde's manner of late that his mother had been compelled to take a very different attitude toward him, and was beginning to be not a little dubious as to her further control over him. Recently, or since he had secured this latest place, for some reason he had seemed to her to have grown wiser, more assured, less dubious of himself, inclined to go his own way and keep his own counsel. And while this had troubled her not a little in one sense, it rather pleased her in another. For to see Clyde, who had always seemed, because of his sensitiveness and unrest, so much of a problem to her, developing in this very interesting way was something— though at times, and in view of his very recent finery, she had been wondering and troubled as to the nature of the company he might be keeping. But since his hours were so long and so absorbing, and whatever money he made appeared to be going into clothes, she felt that she had no real reason to complain. Her one other thought was that perhaps he was beginning to act a little selfish, to think too much of his own comfort, and yet in the face of his long deprivations she could not very well begrudge him any temporary pleasure either. Clyde, not being sure of her real attitude, merely looked at her and exclaimed, "'Why, where would I get a hundred dollars, Ma?' He had visions of his newfound source of wealth being dissipated by such unheard-of and inexplicable demands as this, and distress and distrust at once showed on his countenance. "'I didn't expect that you could get it all from me,' Mrs. Griffith suggested tactfully. "'I have a plan to raise the most of it, I think, but I did want you to help me try to think how I would raise the rest. I didn't want to go to your father with this if I could help it.' and you're getting old enough now to be of some help. She looked at Clyde approvingly and interestedly enough. Your father is such a poor hand at business, she went on, and he gets so worried at times. She passed a large and weary hand over her face, and Clyde was moved by her predicament, whatever it was. At the same time, apart from whether he was willing to part with so much or not, or had it to give, he was decidedly curious about what all this was for. A hundred dollars, gee whiz! After a moment or two, his mother added, 
I'll tell you what I've been thinking. I must have a hundred dollars, but I can't tell you for what now, you nor anyone, and you mustn't ask me. There's an old gold watch of your father's in my desk, and a solid gold ring and pin of mine. Those things ought to be worth twenty-five dollars at least, if they were sold or pawned. Then there is that set of solid silver knives and forks, and that silver platter and pitcher in there. Clyde knew the keepsakes well. That platter alone is worth twenty-five dollars. I believe they ought to bring at least twenty or twenty-five together. I was thinking, if I could get you to go to some good pawn shop, and let me have five more a week for a while? Clyde's countenance fell. I could get a friend of mine, Mr. Murch, who comes here, you know, to advance me enough to make up the hundred, and then I could pay him back out of what you pay me. I have about ten dollars myself. She looked at Clyde as much as to say, Now surely you won't desert me in my hour of trouble. And Clyde relaxed, in spite of the fact that he had been counting upon using all that he earned for himself. In fact, he agreed to take the trinkets to the pawn shop, and to advance her five more for the time being, until the difference between whatever the trinkets brought and one hundred dollars was made up. And yet, in spite of himself, he could not help resenting this extra strain, for it had only been a very short time that he had been earning so much. And here was his mother, demanding more and more, as he saw it. Ten dollars a week now. Always something wrong, thought Clyde. Always something needed, and with no assurance that there would not be more such demands later. He took the trinkets, carried them to the most presentable pawn shop he could find, and being offered forty-five dollars for the lot, took it. This, with his mother's ten, would make fifty-five, and with forty-five she could borrow from Mr. Murch, would make a hundred. Only now, as he saw it, it would mean that for nine weeks he would have to give her ten dollars instead of five, and that, in view of his present aspirations to dress, live, and enjoy himself in a way entirely different from what he previously considered necessary, was by no means a pleasure to contemplate. Nevertheless, he decided to do it. After all, he owed his mother something. She had made many sacrifices for him and the others in days past, and he could not afford to be too selfish. It was not decent. But the most enduring thought that now came to him was that if his mother and father were going to look to him for financial aid, they should be willing to show him more consideration than had previously been shown him. For one thing, he ought to be allowed to come and go with more freedom, in so far as his night hours were concerned. And at the same time, he was clothing himself and eating his meals at the hotel, and that was no small item, as he saw it. However, there was another problem that had soon arisen, and it was this. Not so long after the matter of the hundred dollars, he encountered his mother in Montrose Street, one of the poorest streets which ran north from Bickle, and which consisted entirely of two unbroken lines of wooden houses, and two-story flats, and many unfurnished apartments. Even the Griffiths, poor as they were, would have felt themselves demeaned by the thought of having to dwell in such a street. His mother was coming down the front steps of one of the less tatterdemalion houses of this row, a lower front window of which carried a very conspicuous card which read, Furnished Rooms. And then, without turning or seeing Clyde across the street, she proceeded to another house a few doors away, which also carried a Furnished Rooms card, and, after surveying the exterior interestedly, mounted the steps and rang the bell. Clyde's first impression was that she was seeking the whereabouts of some individual in whom she was interested, and of whose address she was not certain. But crossing over to her at about the moment the proprietress of the house put her head out of the door, he heard his mother say, "'You have a room for rent?' "'Yes.' "'Has it a bath?' "'No, but there's a bath on the second floor.' "'How much is it a week?' Four dollars. "'Could I see it?' "'Yes, just step in.' Mrs. Griffiths appeared to hesitate while Clyde stood below, not twenty-five feet away, and looked up at her, waiting for her to turn and recognize him. But she stepped in without turning, and Clyde gazed after her curiously. For a while, it was by no means inconceivable that his mother might be looking for a room for someone, 
yet why should she be looking for it in this street when as a rule she usually dealt with the salvation army or the young women's christian association his first impulse was to wait and inquire of her what she was doing here but being interested in several errands of his own he went on that night returning to his own home to dress and seeing his mother in the kitchen he said to her i saw you this morning ma in montrose street yes his mother replied after a moment but not before he had noticed that she had started suddenly as though taken aback by this information she was paring potatoes and looked at him curiously well what of it she added calmly but flushing just the same a thing decidedly unusual in connection with her where he was concerned indeed that start of surprise interested and arrested clyde you were going into a house there looking for a furnished room i guess yes i was replied mrs griffith simply enough now i need a room for someone who is sick and hasn't much money but it's not so easy to find either she turned away as though she were not disposed to discuss this any more and clyde while sensing her mood apparently could not risk adding gee that's not much of a street to have a room in his new work at the green davidson had already caused him to think differently of how one should live anyone she did not answer him and he went to his room to change his clothes a month or so after this coming east on missouri avenue late one evening he again saw his mother in the near distance coming west in the light of one of the small stores which ranged in a row on the street he saw that she was carrying a rather heavy old-fashioned bag which had long been about the house but had never been much used by anyone on sight of him approaching as he afterwards decided she had stopped suddenly and turned into a hallway of a three-story brick apartment building and when he came up to it he found the outside door was shut he opened it and saw a flight of steps dimly lit up which she might have gone however he did not trouble to investigate for he was uncertain once he reached this place whether she had gone in to call on someone or not it had all happened so quickly but waiting at the next corner he finally saw her come out again and then to his increasing curiosity she appeared to look cautiously about before proceeding as before it was this that caused him to think that she must have been endeavouring to conceal herself from him but why his first impulse was to turn and follow her so interested was he by her strange movements but he decided later that if she did not want him to know what she was doing perhaps it was best that he should not at the same time he was made intensely curious by this evasive gesture why should his mother not wish him to see her carrying a bag anywhere evasion and concealment formed no part of her real disposition so different from his own almost instantly his mind proceeded to join this coincidence with the time he had seen her descending the steps of the rooming house in montrose street together with the business of the letter he had found her reading and the money she had been compelled to raise the hundred dollars where could she be going what was she hiding he speculated on all this but he could not decide whether it had any definite connection with him or any member of the family until about a week later when passing along eleventh near baltimore he thought he saw esta or at least a girl so much like her that she would be taken for her anywhere she had the same height and she was moving along as esta used to walk only now he thought he saw her she looked older yet so quickly had she come and gone in the mass of people that he had not been able to make sure it was only a glance but on the strength of it he had turned and sought to catch up with her but upon reaching the spot she was gone so convinced was he however that he had seen her that he went straight home and encountering his mother in the mission announced that he was positive he had seen esta she must be back in kansas city again he could have sworn it he had seen her near eleventh in baltimore or thought he had had his mother heard anything from her and then curiously enough he observed that his mother's manner was not exactly what he thought it should have been under the circumstances his own attitude had been one of commingled astonishment 
pleasure, curiosity, and sympathy, because of the sudden disappearance and now sudden reappearance of Esta. Could it be that his mother had used that hundred dollars to bring her back? The thought had come to him, why or from where he could not say. He wondered. But if so, why had she not returned to her home, at least to notify the family of her presence here? He expected his mother would be as astonished and puzzled as he was, quick and curious for details. Instead, she appeared to him to be thoroughly confused and taken aback by this information, as though she was hearing about something that she already knew, and was puzzled as to just what her attitude should be. Oh, did you? Where? Just now, you say? At 11th and Baltimore? Well, isn't that strange? I must speak to Asa about this. It's strange that she wouldn't come here if she's back. Her eyes, as he saw, instead of looking astonished, looked puzzled, disturbed. Her mouth, always the case when she was a little embarrassed and disconcerted, worked oddly, not only the lips, but the jaw itself. Well, well, she added after a pause. That is strange. Perhaps it was just someone who looked like her. But Clyde, watching her out of the corner of his eye, could not believe that she was as astonished as she pretended. And thereafter, Asa coming in, and Clyde not having as yet departed for the hotel, he heard them discussing the matter in some strangely inattentive and unillumined way, as if it was not quite as startling as it had seemed to him. And for some time he was not called in to explain what he had seen. And then, as if purposely to solve this mystery for him, he encountered his mother one day, passing along Spruce Street, this time carrying a small basket on her arm. She had, as he had noticed of late, taken to going out regularly mornings and afternoons or evenings. On this occasion, and long before she had had an opportunity to see him, he had discerned her peculiarly heavy figure draped in the old brown coat which she always wore, and had turned onto Merkle Street and waited for her to pass, a convenient newsstand offering him shelter. Once she had passed, he dropped behind her, allowing her to precede him by half a block and at Dallyrimple, she crossed on to Beaudry, which was really a continuation of Spruce, but not so ugly. The houses were quite old, quondam residences of an earlier day, but now turned into boarding and rooming houses. Into one of these he saw her enter and disappear, but before doing so, she looked inquiringly about her. After she had entered, Clyde approached the house and studied it with great interest. What was his mother doing in there? Who was it she was going to see? He could have scarcely explained this intense curiosity to himself, and yet, since having thought that he had seen Esta on the street, he had an unconvinced feeling that it might have something to do with her. There were the letters, the one hundred dollars, the furnished room in Montrose Street. Diagonally across the way from the house in Beaudry Street, there was a large trunked tree, leafless now in the winter wind, and near it a telegraph pole, close enough to make a joint shadow with it. And behind these he was able to stand unseen, and from this vantage point to observe the several windows, side and front and ground and second floor. Through one of these front windows above, he saw his mother moving about as though she were quite at home there, and a moment later, to his astonishment, he saw Esta come to one of the two windows and put a package down on the sill. She appeared to have on only a light dressing gown or a wrap drawn about her shoulders. He was not mistaken this time. He actually started as he realized that it was she, also that his mother was in there with her. And yet what had she done that she must come back and hide away in this manner? Had her husband, the man she had run away with, deserted her? He was so intensely curious that he decided to wait a while outside here to see if his mother might not come out, and then he himself would call on Esta. He wanted so much to see her again, to know what this mystery was all about. He waited, thinking how he had always liked Esta, and how strange it was that she should be here, hiding away in this mysterious way. After an hour, his mother came out, her basket apparently empty, for she held it tightly in her hand, and just as before, she looked cautiously about her, 
her face wearing that same stolid and yet care-stamped expression which it always wore these days, a cross between an uplifting faith and a troublesome doubt. Clyde watched her as she proceeded to walk south on Beaudry Street toward the mission. After she was well out of sight, he turned and entered the house. Inside, as he had surmised, he found a collection of furnished rooms, nameplates some of which bore the names of the rumors pasted upon them. Since he knew that the southeast front room and upstairs contained Esta, he proceeded there and knocked. And true enough, a light footstep responded within, and presently, after some little delay, which seemed to suggest some quick preparation within, the door opened slightly and Esta peeped out, quizzically at first, then with a little cry of astonishment and some confusion. For as inquiry and caution disappeared, she realized that she was looking at Clyde. At once she opened the door wide. "'Why, Clyde,' she called, "'how did you come to find me? I was just thinking of you.' Clyde at once put his arms around her and kissed her. And at the same time, he realized, and with a slight sense of shock and dissatisfaction, that she was considerably changed. She was thinner, paler, her eyes almost sunken, and not any better dressed than when he had seen her last. She appeared nervous and depressed. One of the first thoughts that came to him now was where her husband was. Why wasn't he here? What had become of him? And he looked at her, and noticed that Esta's look was one of confusion and uncertainty, not unmixed with a little satisfaction at seeing him. Her mouth was partly open because of a desire to smile and to welcome him, but her eyes showed that she was contending with a problem. "'I didn't expect you here,' she added, quickly, the moment he released her. "'You didn't see—' Then she paused, catching herself at the brink of some information, which evidently she didn't wish to impart. "'Yes, I did, too. I saw Ma,' he replied. "'That's how I came to know you were here. I saw her coming out just now, and I saw you up here through the window.' He did not care to confess that he had been following and watching his mother for an hour. "'But when did you get back?' he went on. "'It's a wonder you wouldn't let the rest of us know something about you. Gee, you're a dandy, you are. Going away and staying months, and never letting any one of us know anything? You might have written me a little something, anyhow. We always got along pretty well, didn't we?' His glance was quizzical, curious, imperative. She, for her part, felt recessive and thence evasive, uncertain quite what to think or say or tell. She uttered, I couldn't think who it might be. No one comes here. But my, how nice you look, Clyde. You've got such nice clothes now, and you're getting taller. Mama was telling me that you're working at the Green Davidson. She looked at him admiringly, and he was properly impressed by her notice of him. At the same time, he could not get his mind off her condition. He could not cease looking at her face, her eyes, her thin, fat body. And as he looked at her waist and her gaunt face, he came to a very keen realization that all was not well with her. She was going to have a child and hence the thought recurred to him, where was her husband, or at any rate, the man she had eloped with? Her original note, according to her mother, had said that she was going to get married, yet now he sensed quite clearly that she was not married. She was deserted, left in this miserable room here alone. He saw it, felt it, understood it, and he thought at once that this was typical of all that seemed to occur in his family. Here he was, just getting a start, trying to be somebody and get along in the world and have a good time, and here was Esta, after her first venture in the direction of doing something for herself, coming to such a finish as this. It made him a little sick and resentful. "'How long have you been back, Esta?' he repeated dubiously, scarcely knowing just what to say now. For now that he was here, and she was as she was, he began to scent expense, trouble, distress, and to wish almost that he had not been so curious. Why need he have been? It could only mean that he must help. "'Oh, not so very long, Clyde. About a month now, I guess.' not more than that. I thought so. I saw you up on 11th near Baltimore about a month ago, didn't I? Sure I did, he added, a little less joyously. 
a change that Esther noted. At the same time, she nodded her head affirmatively. I knew I did. I told Ma so at the time, but she didn't seem to think so. She wasn't as surprised as I thought she would be, though. I know why now. She acted as though she didn't want me to tell her about it either. But I knew I wasn't wrong. He stared at Esther oddly, quite proud of his prescience in this case. He paused, though, not knowing quite what else to say, and wondering whether what he had just said was of any sense or import. It didn't seem to suggest any real aid for her. And she, not quite knowing how to pass over the nature of her condition, or to confess it either, was puzzled what to say. Something had to be done, for Clyde could see for himself that her predicament was dreadful. She could scarcely bear the look of his inquiring eyes. And more to extricate herself than her mother, she finally observed, Poor Mama, you mustn't think it strange of her, Clyde. She doesn't know what to do, you see, really. It's all my fault, of course. If I hadn't run away, I wouldn't have caused her all this trouble. She has so little to do with, and she's always had such a hard time. She turned her back to him suddenly, and her shoulders began to tremble and her sides to heave. She put her hands to her face and bent her head low, and then he knew that she was silently crying. "'Oh, come now, sis,' exclaimed Clyde, drawing near to her instantly and feeling intensely sorry for her at the moment. "'What's the matter? What do you want to cry for? Didn't that man you went away with marry you?' She shook her head negatively and sobbed the more. And in that instant, there came to Clyde the real psychological, as well as sociological and biological, import of his sister's condition. She was in trouble, pregnant, and with no money and no husband. That was why his mother had been looking for a room. That was why she had tried to borrow a hundred dollars from him. She was ashamed of Esther and her condition. She was ashamed of not only what people outside the family would think, but of what he and Julia and Frank might think. The effect of Esther's condition upon them, perhaps— because it was not right, unmoral, as people saw it, and for that reason she had been trying to conceal it, telling stories about it, a most amazing and difficult thing for her, no doubt, and yet because of poor luck she hadn't succeeded very well. And now he was again confused and puzzled, not only by his sister's condition and what it meant to him and the other members of the family here in Kansas City, but also by his mother's disturbed and somewhat unmoral attitude in regard to deception in this instance. She had evaded, if not actually deceived him in regard to all this, for she knew Esther was here all the time. At the same time, he was not inclined to be too unsympathetic in that respect toward her, far from it. For such deception in such an instance had to be, no doubt, even where people were as religious and truthful as his mother, or so he thought. You couldn't just let people know. He certainly wouldn't want to let people know about Esther if he could help it. What would they think? What would they say about her and him? Wasn't the general state of his family low enough as it was? And so now he stood, staring and puzzled, the while Esther cried. And she, realizing that he was puzzled and ashamed because of her, cried the more. Gee, that is tough, said Clyde, troubled and yet fairly sympathetic after a time. You wouldn't have run away with him unless you cared for him, though, would you? He was thinking of himself and Hortense Briggs. I'm sorry for you, S. Sure I am, but it won't do you any good to cry about it now, will it? There's lots of other fellows in the world beside him. You'll come out of it all right. Oh, I know, sobbed Esta, but I've been so foolish, and I've had such a hard time, and now I've brought all this trouble on Mama and all of you. She choked and hushed a moment. He went off and left me in a hotel in Pittsburgh without any money, she added, and if it hadn't been for Mama, I don't know what I would have done. She sent me for a hundred dollars when I wrote her. I worked for a while in a restaurant, as long as I could. I didn't want to write home and say that he had left me. I was ashamed to, but I didn't know what else to do there toward the last when I began feeling so bad. She began to cry again, and Clyde, realizing all that his mother had done and sought to do to assist her, 
felt almost as sorry now for his mother as he did for Esta. More so, for Esta had her mother to look after her, and his mother had almost no one to help her. I can't work yet because I won't be able to for a while, she went on, and Mama doesn't want me to come home now because she doesn't want Julia or Frank or you to know. And that's right, too, I know. Of course it is. And she hasn't got anything, and I haven't. And I get so lonely here sometimes. Her eyes filled and she began to choke again. And I've been so foolish. And Clyde felt for the moment as though he could cry, too. For life was so strange, so hard at times. See how it had treated him all these years. He had had nothing until recently and always wanted to run away. But Esta had done so, and see what had befallen her. And somehow he recalled her between the tall walls of the big buildings here in the business district, sitting at his father's little street organ and singing and looking so innocent and good. Gee, life was tough. What a rough world it was anyhow. How queer things went. He looked at her in the room, and finally, telling her that she wouldn't be left alone, and that he would come again, only she mustn't tell his mother he had been there, and that if she needed anything she could call on him, although he wasn't making so very much either, and then he went out. And then, walking toward the hotel to go to work, he kept dwelling on the thought of how miserable it all was, how sorry he was that he had followed his mother, for then he might not have known. But even so it would have come out. His mother could not have concealed it from him indefinitely. She would have asked for more money eventually, maybe. But what a dog that man was to go off and leave his sister in a big strange city without a dime. He puzzled, thinking of how the girl who had been deserted in Green Davidson some months before with a room and board bill unpaid, and how comic it had seemed to him and the other boys at the time, highly colored and with a sensual interest in it. But this? Well, this was his own sister. A man had thought so little of his sister as that. And yet, try as he could, he could no longer think that it was as terrible as when he heard her crying in the room. Here was this brisk, bright city about him running with people in effort, and this gay hotel in which he worked. That was not so bad. Besides, there was his own love affair, portents, and pleasures. There must be some way out for Esta. She would get well again and be all right. But to think of his being part of a family that was always so poor and so little thought of that things like this could happen to it, one thing and another, like street preaching, not being able to pay the rent at times, his father selling rugs and clocks for a living on the streets, Esther running away and coming to an end like this. Gee. End of book one, chapter 13.